Welcome to Trending Health, where we provide you with valuable insights and perspectives on the evolving healthcare industry. Brought to you by Dynamic, Trending Health explores industry topics that are real, relevant, and worth discussing. I'm your host, Jen Burke. In our typical trending news episodes, we discuss a few recent newsworthy items we think healthcare leaders should be considering. Today, we're going to focus exclusively on the biotech sector. I'm here with Dynamic's Mindy McGrath and special guest Dean McAllister from Anisio Biotech to discuss the latest headlines and the stories behind them. Welcome to the podcast, Dean. Can you start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Thank you, Jen. I appreciate you having me here today. I'm here as a 35-year veteran of this industry, having spent my entire working life here. The bulk of that was a 28-year career at AstraZeneca, which I look back on very fondly. But honestly, the greatest growth and development has been in the past seven years for me, having been on the consulting side of the industry with STEM Healthcare, another of the sister agencies to Dynamic. And then most recently, the past couple of years, I've been working in the biotech space for Anisio, which is one of the largest groupings of pharma service organizations in the world. Let's start by digging into the biotech sector a little bit. What are we seeing in terms of innovation and investment right now? From an innovation perspective, about two-thirds of all the innovation comes from organizations that we would classify as emerging biotechs. That's a pretty liberal definition, but just broadly defined. The innovation is coming from startup organizations. And some of those startups have been around a long time, but yet they're still starting up. The innovation is no longer coming from the company where I grew up, not any shade that we're casting on AstraZeneca here, but it's across all of big pharma. The innovation is coming from, generally speaking, the emerging biotech sector with many times big pharma buying an organization once they actually hit a certain threshold or market catalyst point, approval, whatever it might be, significant data release. So I think the big idea here is that what's happening in emerging biotech fuels the future for what's happening in biopharma. That's such a great point about biotech really being the innovation engine across the life sciences sector, Dean, but any good engine needs fuel. And if I'm thinking about the headlines I've seen around biotech, it seems like investment might be, for lack of a better word, cooling when it comes to the sector. What are you seeing there? That's correct. Investors are much more cautious about biotech than they were during the sector's peak. There was a point in time if someone had a target product profile idea, they could go get funding and then start a clinical trial and see if it worked. Those days are gone and they may be gone forever. And potentially they should be gone because it's an area where there needs to be some proof source. We need to see how scientific commercialization will actually progress. And investment firms are focused on helping biotech portfolios survive in this environment, but they also expect a lot out of those organizations. And if any company is backed, it's highly likely that they're looking for any way to mitigate risk, make the bet safer, and to be able to come back and potentially exceed expectations and at least meet expectations from investors. Yeah, indeed, I feel like there was a frenzy right back in like 2020 with investment and what we've seen or what I've seen at least over the last year and a half, two years is that investment is just 
down anywhere between 40 to 50% year on year, which is a huge turn when you think about how popular it was to invest in biotech just a couple of years ago. And I think to your point that it may be down forever, you start to marry that right against what's going on in the industry and the flurry of activity that we're seeing with different types of regulations and just some market stressors in general. And I think it makes for an interesting environment right now for biotech firms as they start to think about where they go next and what the the roadmap of the future looks like for them. Yeah, there's no doubt there was a euphoria for a period of time during the pandemic that was directly correlated with the pace of innovation around trying to rescue the malaise that we were all in. Everyone was looking for the bright future, the hope, and I think that the COVID vaccines brought that and demonstrated what was possible. And there were a lot of tailwinds that came with that across a number of disease states and the environment that we previously referenced. Well, fast forward to higher cost of capital, a challenging environment around clinical research, just simply getting patients into clinical research became very difficult during the pandemic for all the reasons you would anticipate. And a general environment that said, prove it. And that's where we find ourselves today is where the proof has to come through within that. And it has led to a lot of difficulties, but yet around all that, there's still future and there's still hope. And in reality, the way out of something is to continue to invest, but to do so in a smart fashion. And that's what we start to see now that the investments, say in oncology, biotechs or platform companies, Yet there's innovation in some chronic disease states as well. Look at the innovation that's happening in metabolic disorders around obesity and where we see some of the biggest players in the industry publicly disclosed with Novo and Lilly leading the way toward trying to set something where there will be a different population health management for what's probably the biggest underlying driver and that's body mass index. So as that progresses, those companies are being smart by looking, saying, okay, not just our own internal innovation happening in those two organizations that I referenced, but they're also investing through purchasing other developing emerging biotech companies and partnerships with others. So they're trying to play chestnut checkers in this space to try and drive innovation for a longer period of time. So I don't want our listeners today to think that it's all doom and gloom, because in reality, it's sort of a market reset. And the cost of capital won't always be what it is today. There will be a day when that gets a little more free-flowing, and there are a tremendous amount of resources, what I call dry powder, that's waiting in private equity to go into the right places as companies continue to do good due diligence around commercialization. Indeed, it feels to me like we talk about the hope and that there's still opportunity out there. If you are a biotech, you still have to clear through the clutter, right? You still have to be the one that stands out to these larger partners so that when they're thinking about making the investment and making potentially even an acquisition, right? Your story is solid, not just the clinical story, but the story around the clinical is solid. So it feels to me like there's still competition out there to make sure that if you're a biotech company, that you are still putting your best foot forward, even in these times. What we often see across Anisio is 
heavy science-based organizations that may not have any commercial history people at all. It's literally the people closest to the innovation and the science who have a fundamental to their soul belief that the science will win the day. And we would all like to believe that, but we know there are a lot of countermanding things that happen toward market entry. And to your point, any organization is going to have to go beyond science to a story. And we all know that every good story has a beginning, middle, and an end. And sometimes these organizations struggle to get out of the beginning because they're not looking to get guidance and help on how to tell the story and how to really take something to a visionary endpoint of what they're trying to solve for years hence and work their way backwards to what needs to happen now and what's the narrative around the next thing that needs to happen in their organization, the smallest executable step, and how to get it to a point where investors will understand the story. And that's the biggest point that has to be brought through. No longer just, I've got a science piece to tell, but you have a narrative to craft. And that's what's often missing in this overall dialogue. Dan, you think about the sophistication, right, of therapies as they are being developed and couple that with the complexity of a health system that as much as we think it doesn't change very much, there's a lot of shifting priorities within the health system. And I think you just layer that on to your point about why it's so important, right, to create a really solid narrative for your organization as you are entering this marketplace. The narrative is critical and the narrative begins to emerge as organizations start to hit a phase two, what I call an inflection point. So if you think about phase one for clinical research, you're still doing a lot of proof of concept work. You're focused almost exclusively just on trial work. But in phase two, you start to go into the clinic and you start to get real. You start to see points that you may have promised to investors, whether those be public or private or both. And you have to begin to think, all right, let's say we've got three or four phase two studies that are all going to come to a maturity point. Well, the clock has started ticking, and that milestone is critical for de-risking an asset and communicating the potential asset value and differentiation. So this is often the point, too, whenever investors and patient advocacy groups begin to get involved and want to know what's your plan, what is your impact that you're going to have on population health. And we find that this phase two point is critical for organizations to really be clear on their story. So to tell a good story, you have to have some facts. And these facts are often driven by doing a scientific narrative to where you get everyone in the organization speaking about the asset under development in the same way. We find that it's a great time to be doing KOL mapping, to be able to see what your opinion leaders are thinking and to get a point of view that's beyond your own and beyond just maybe those that are closest to you to look out to an extended sphere and also be looking at not just the near term of phase two to phase three progression, but there will come a day when you're looking at, well, what other claims do we wish that we would have had? And there needs to be good integrated evidence generation planning gap analyses to be able to look at that opposite things like the Inflation Reduction Act and all the complexities that that brought into the narrative to be able to say, 
what do we need to be doing now to best equip and open up the chance to tell the kind of story that we ultimately want told and the headline that we want about our organization years from now. You think about the future headlines you want for your company. The time is now to start crafting the chapters that lead to that that headline. So can we dive into that a little bit more? Because I, I just thought it was a great way to think about why the case for investing now makes a lot of sense. I often point people towards something that is say three years out from where they are at the time. We had a recent dialogue with a client that was getting ready to look at Europe for its marketability, the timing for filing, and all of the infrastructure movement that had to happen. They were very much in the throes of the tyranny of the urgent. And I said, let's pause for a minute. And let's say it's January 2026. There's a headline written about your European success. What do you want it to say? And it forced a moment where all of the throughput was looked at against, well, what's the output? And all of the activities that we have going, toward what end are those actually moving? And it forced everyone to come back and have a moment together, which is what you want as a consultant with your client, is where everyone all of a sudden sees things very clearly. And they understood these aren't just activities we're progressing against. These are little chapters in the book of the story of our organization that will ultimately lead to that January of 2026 headline that allows the story that we want crafted to actually happen. And that began then to inform the plan that we're putting together around field forces for commercial teams, field force for reimbursement, field force for medical affairs. What's the patient journey mapping look like? What type of creating messaging do you actually need to have for HCPs, for patients, for payers, all the way through an underpinning of being able to, in a systematic way, tell that story. So Mindy, to your point, that's what we're actually after here is let's begin with the end in mind and work our way back. So much easier said than done sometimes when you're in the midst of the day-to-day, -day, right? And just trying to get through the next day and advance the effort of bringing a product to market. It's the immediacy of things and feeling like I have to make it through my punch list for today. How can I think about something so far out whenever I'm just trying to make it to next week? Well, that's the role we often play because we're external. We can come in with an objective point of view. And we can also come in with a point of view that helps people to be able to see beyond just what's right in front of them because we've lived this movie many times before and we can help people get to an end that they're trying to solve for and possibly help them to see things in a way that they would not have been able to see on their own. And that's the value of what we've tried to put together here at Anisio is a collection of agencies. Yes, we can go end to end with a client, but as I also like to say, we can take as much or as little of Anisio as you might need to help you. Maybe you just need crafting one chapter in the story. It might just be one item that really provides a catalyst to your organization. That's a great place to start. Regardless, the takeaway point today for your audience is that you have to have a plan that is going to enable you to open up the value of your organization, the value of the product, the value of the company, the value of the people and the human capital 
therein and whether you want to go all the way on your own and go out and have a commercial organization in market yourself or you want to partner out or haven't decided either way it's that external expertise that can complement the internal knowledge which is what we're trying to get as a thought starter today how can we be different by what you do today here on Trending News and Trending Health, we certainly value a good story, particularly when it comes to healthcare. So thank you so much, Dean, for joining us today and helping us think through how biotech can tell their stories more compellingly, when they should begin thinking about those stories, and how they can lean on the broader ecosystem and experts throughout the landscape, particularly at Anisio, in helping craft that narrative. For our listeners who are interested in learning more about the work Inizio Biotech is doing, please visit the links in our show notes. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Trending Health. For links to resources discussed in the episode, to subscribe to the Trending Health podcast, and to explore if Dynamic can help your company manage ongoing healthcare industry change, visit trendinghealth.com. Tune into the next episode, where we look forward to providing you with more insights on the healthcare industry.